Jesus at the center of it all. We, we are acknowledging and displacing ourselves. It's not a very human thing to do, just to be clear. Uh, it's our nature to center ourselves at every single storyline. It's, it's, it's important for us that we be the important thing going on at that moment. It's almost like we get vexed when we realize the world actually goes on when we fall asleep and things keep going on in the direction that we want to be at the center of it all. But the truth is, the very truth of it, we are at our best when he is at the center of it all. When we transform our lives to be around him, things fall into place a lot more easily. Things go the way we need more appropriately when we center the Christ. That's my prayer for us today, is that we center the Lord at our lives, that he becomes that focal point. Not our needs, not our wants, not our desires, because they have a beginning and an end. And believe you me, before we were born, there were many people who thought they were at the center of the world. And when we are gone, there will be many people who think they're the center of it all after we've gone. But the truth is that Jesus is at the center of it all. Thank you, Jesus. The scripture says that before the world was, he was. Thank you, Jesus. Speaking to the eternity of who God is. Thank you, Jesus. Imagine before anything was, you are. And not only do you exist, but you are holy who you are right at the beginning. You don't need to have a reference where you would say, well, north is here, south is here, so I must be here. No, you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You don't have to understand where you sit in the universe. You are the universe. Hallelujah. You don't have to understand what time it is to understand who you are. You are time. You'll be full time, you're after time, you're in time. Thank you, Jesus. Putting the Lord at the center of our lives simply puts him where he's appropriately located. He's at the center of it all. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's at the center of it all. So today we've been we've been going and I've, there's been kind of a pattern. I've, re, I've only just realized there's been kind of a pattern to what I've been doing. Of course, we've been in Acts and that's what I've been underlying. I've been referencing all the scriptures back to the Acts. But I've been talking about this idea of righteousness and where righteousness comes from. I've talked also about who we were. We don't have to be defined by who we were. And I spoke about Moses in that regard. When God called Moses out, he says to Moses, I want you to do this. I want you to lead my people into the scripture just Elder just read. I want you to lead my people. I want you to go into a particular direction. I've seen their affliction. Do this. And immediately Moses said, um, I don't think I'm the one. Why have you asked me to do it? Immediately when the Lord was supposed to be centered, Moses centered himself. He said, I'm slow of speech. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a good speaker. Who, who can you speak for me? And the Lord got mad at him and said, why are you centering yourselves in this solution? I said, I'm going to deliver Israel. And the, and the Lord is saying to us today, why are you centering yourself in your own solution of your own salvation? I am the one who said I was going to save you. I'm the one who went to the cross for you. Why are you trying to go to the cross for yourself when I've been there? And that makes us really compare two things. Who we were to who we are. And actually one other thing, to who the Lord intends for us to be. Who we were and who we are. And so I want to again start in the Acts because I need to talk about who we were versus who he wants us to be. And understand that there's always a moment of transformation. There's this old man, this is old way. 
and there's this potential new man and a new way. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And on the 54th verse, we're going to start there. We're just not going to stay very long here, but we're going to start here. Um, um, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. And it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart. They just responded to some preaching. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Somebody was just preaching to them. And Stephen was just preaching to these people. And they got mad at him. They got so mad at him. This is the response to hearing the word. They were furious. Being, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Stephen preached himself into a vision of the Christ. Simultaneously, the glory of the Lord is there and the hatred of the people is right next to the glory of God. Think about this. Stephen preached so wonderfully that he was able to see the vision of, the, of Jesus Christ but the same word had the effect of transforming the people into a mob of hatred. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And kept going, but he, verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looks up steadfastly into heaven. And verse 56, and said, behold, I see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran up on him with one accord. They, they, didn't, they, they were so against what he was saying that they literally blocked their ears and ran towards him so they would no longer have to hear what Stephen had to say. Okay. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses, listen to this, and the witnesses laid their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, and calling upon his, he basically he said Lord Jesus receive my spirit so we see two people here that's very important and it's the second person that's actually the focal point of what I want to look at we see Paul standing with the people stoning Stephen this you just saw a, a, a preacher a Holy Ghost preacher so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he sees a vision of the Christ and the people are so out of tune with the Holy Spirit that they hate what he's saying they hate the message he's saying to the point that they have to block their ears. And Paul isn't blocking his... He's one of those ones who wants to block his ears away from this message. Paul, Saul, excuse me, and he's not Paul yet, he's Saul. Saul takes, gives assistance to those who are trying to kill Stephen. It's important we realize that before our transformation, before the Lord makes us into who we are, we are against him. It's not that we don't think about him. Our very nature is against him. And this is where Saul is in this moment. He's against God. And sometimes we don't realize that our nature is against God when we are the old man. But it's important. That's why the transformation is so important. Because it changes us from being against God to being for and with God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's keep going. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Essentially what had happened is the persecution came down upon the people such that they had to scatter all around. The only people that were around at that point were the apostles. The only people who were able to dodge the authorities were the apostles. Imagine if our beliefs put us at odds with the authorities. That the police car going across there wouldn't single, oh thankfully he's going past and looking after the neighborhood. But signal we have to be quiet for a moment. We have to be careful for a moment because we could go to jail. Imagine being on the run constantly because of what you believe. This is what the position they found themselves in. And Saul is the one who is helping making this happen. And verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Havoc of the church. That means he was disrupting services, he was disrupting prayer, he was disrupting how they would meet in their homes. Remember, they would meet in the temple or meet at the home. So you know straight away they can't meet in the temple anymore because that's a public place. So they're probably hiding, going from home to home, hiding away. He's making habit. Oh, I know they're going to meet on 11 at some time, at this time, on this day. Paul may have been hanging around with his people, trying to disrupt them. He made a havoc of their worship and of their dedication. Entering into every house and Halling, I think the word is spelled without the I, so it's H-A-L-I-N-G. Halling, which according to the, dic- the, the dictionary means when you forcibly remove somebody, when you, you actually with force grab somebody. So he was halling men and women, committed them to prison. So Paul was going through, going to these people's houses, grabbing them out their houses and throwing them in jail for believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing moment because we know who Saul becomes. Right? Yeah. We know who Saul is. We read most of his letters every single week. But this is who he was. This is absolutely who the old man, Paul, was. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm trying to tell you something here. That it doesn't matter who you were. Once you have an encounter with Christ, you can be somebody completely different. I don't care what your friends know about you. I don't care what your family knows about you. I don't care that they genuinely think you were an awful person all these days and now you're going to say you've met the Christ and you're somebody else? That's the power of an encounter with the Christ. Let's just go to that encounter real quick. I think it's in chapter 9. And I'm just going to go through it really quickly. I'm not going to go all through this because I've got some other scriptures we've got to get to. Uh, Verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the priests and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he, if he found any of his way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So Paul's disruptive in Jerusalem. He says, let me franchise this. Let me, let me get this franchise out. Then we messed them up in Jerusalem, but let's go to Damascus and get them there. I heard that there's some of those folks calling on the name of the Lord Jesus in Damascus. Give me some letters. Send me with some authority to mess them up. Uh, at verse 3, and he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. This is the encounter I mentioned. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 
And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Immediately here, what we start to realize is that when we are against one another, something important to realize, this is my message, but it's important to realize, when we set ourselves up against one another, what we actually do is set ourselves up against the Christ. Paul, Saul didn't have anything to do with Jesus. He isn't mentioned as a persecutor of Jesus before this moment. So what he says, when Jesus says, you're persecuting me, what he's saying is your persecution of the people is a persecution of me. So we have to be careful when we set ourselves up against one another because of exactly what we're doing. Remember last week we talked about how Ananias and Sapphira came to, to Peter and started to say that they only sold the house for such and such. It wasn't against Peter the problem, was it was against the Lord. I'm saying when we set up against each other, we have to be careful what it means to set up against one another. We may be kicking against the Lord. We may be fighting against the Holy Spirit and that's a dangerous place to be in. Let's keep reading. He said, and in verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into, excuse me, go into the city, and it shall be told there, told thee what thou must do. Mm. Paul's given instructions about exactly what he needs to do. Man. Get up, go to the city. Mm. Paul's blind at this point. Paul opens his up, opens up his eyes in a moment and realizes he's blind. For a moment, that old man has to rely on something that he hasn't had to rely on before. He has to walk without the benefit of his eyes. And sometimes that old man has to be put at a disadvantage so that the spirit can come in, fill the gap. And then we are reliant not on ourselves and the old man, but on the new one and the spirit. We have to somehow be at a disadvantage. Some of us have to go through things in order to be reliant on the Holy Spirit Amen. to guide us. Amen. Some of us will never get that thing we're looking for because the Holy Spirit is saying, as soon as you get that thing, you're not going to rely on me. Amen. And, if, and until we become spiritually mature enough to really not turn away from the Spirit when we get that thing, that thing's going to be held out of arm's length, out of arm's reach. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 20. He goes through, I'm just going to summarize what happens because I have many script, more scriptures to get to. I'm going to summarize all of what happens up to verse 20. He gets baptized. He has a conversion moment. He gets baptized. Thank you, Jesus. 18 and 19, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 is where I want you to pick up. Minister, if you'll read that for me. And straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogue. There was no wait time. There was no ramp up. There was no nothing. He gets converted, he gets baptized, he receives the Holy Ghost, and he leaves and goes and preaches in the synagogue, this man, Jesus. He gets a new name, he gets a new direction after his encounter with the Christ. He's not subject to who he was before. And the funny thing is, in the next few verses, verse 21, for example, says what? But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them 
which called on the name in Jerusalem. Can you imagine? We've been on the run from this particular person the whole time. Yes, We've been running, hiding. We've rented a place here, sang as quietly as we can to make sure no one finds out because we are avoiding this one person who's going to out us and going to persecute us, going to take away our property, throw us in jail. And this same person comes in. This same person who has been chasing us this whole time comes in and talking about some Jesus who we've been quietly preaching about. You've caused this havoc. I can't even go to my own house. I've had to leave the city. I've had to leave this county and I've had to leave the state just so I can preach and teach in peace. Then you come in and say, but Jesus saves. Can you imagine? That would mess me up too. I'd be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, is this a trick? Is this a trap? Are you saying this to get me to agree with you so you can then find out that you want to put me in jail? It doesn't matter what I believe about your transformation. That's what I'm realizing here. It doesn't matter what I believe about your transformation. The question only is, has the, have you had a spiritual encounter with the Lord? Have you had an encounter with the Lord? And has that changed your life? The old man versus the new man in Paul. We've shown this old man who persecuted, full of hate, dragged and killed people, went and got letters of authority to go have permission to kill people. And all of a sudden now he's preaching Jesus. Jesus, hallelujah. And he became an expert in destroying the church. He became an expert in disrupting services. He became an expert in throwing people in jail. And he transforms that and becomes a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care what your past is. If the old man is dead, if the old man is dead, he's just dead. Thank you, Jesus. I am not going to limit somebody by who for who they were before they met Jesus. Because what I'm doing when I limit them is talk about the limit of his salvation. No. If you've been touched by the Holy Spirit, you are qualified to preach the gospel of Jesus yes, Christ. Sir. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Don't worry about what I was. Don't worry about who I was. I want you to think about what the power of the Holy Ghost could be. Thank you, Jesus. Many times, you know what? When you see cars going down the street, what you're seeing them is, is a vehicle under control going in a direction. Yes. That same vehicle, out of control, is a destructive vehicle. Right. Hallelujah. Right? If it's out of control, it's completely destructive. In fact, it would probably kill people if you were seeing a car going at 60 miles per hour down the street with nobody behind the wheel. Wow. You would think to yourself, that's dangerous. But put somebody down behind the wheel, and all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, "Ah, you don't even think about it. You see thousands of cars going down the street every day, and as long as there's somebody got the wheel... You're fine. And what am I saying? As long as Jesus literally has our wheel, I don't care what the car was doing before. The question is, what is it doing now? Who has control? Is it the Holy Ghost? Then that's that's the car for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's let's do a jump real quick. Let's go to Genesis 25. Thank you, Jesus. Genesis 25. Thank you, Jesus. Please be patient with me. I'm going to um, jump around a little bit here. Genesis 25 and 25. 
Thank you, Jesus. So Isaac is Abraham's son, right? Yes, sir, he is. We understand that? Yes, he is. Isaac is Abraham's son. Isaac has two sons of his own, Jacob and Esau. Esau is born first, and this is where we pick up right here. Esau is born first. There's a prophecy that goes on that we have to know about here, because it's difficult to, to understand how Jacob can be who he is and still be used by God. But the scripture says, the younger, the older, excuse me, shall serve the older. So verse 25, we pick up on the birth of Jacob and Esau. They're twins, by the way. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. Esau's name literally means hairy. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. Okay? So there's two of the things that happen. The nature of who they are is named at their birth. You have the one son who's hairy, naturally hairy, has hair on him all over at birth. Red hair, apparently. And he, as he is taken out, Jacob is literally holding on to his brother's heel as he is, as he is born. And they use that, and in, in, in Hebrew I'm led to understand that there's a kind of a play on words with the name Jacob. Because um, it, it kind of uses the word a leg puller, heel puller. Like you're pulling somebody's leg. So it's a trickster. They've played on the words of a leg puller. A leg, you know, when you're pulling somebody's legs, you're kind of tricking them, right? And this is what Jacob's name means. He's a trickster. He's a leg puller. He's a heel holder. And in Hebrew, that kind of makes a bit more sense. But in the English, there is an equivalent to that because we say leg puller. Somebody who pulls somebody's leg is doing playing a joke on you. Okay? And so Jacob is born... And this is his nature. This is who the old Jacob is. Thank you, Jesus. And verse 27, I want to go, 27 through 34. In fact, minister, read those two for me, please. And 27 through 34. And the grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah and but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said unto Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, that that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Just to be clear here, Esau's a hunter, he's known to be a hunter. And he's just gone out hunting, probably didn't catch anything. And he's come back, he's starving. He's probably not caught anything for days. He's, right. You know how they go out hunting for days and days and days. He's probably run out of food. He's come back, he's about to die. He says to his brother, give me something to eat. His brother sees this as a perfect opportunity to take advantage of his brother. He says, show me your birthright. You're the, you're the oldest son, I want what you are going to have. And, and you know that this, this, there's a saying... Uh, um, you've sold out for a mess of pottage. That's where this comes from. This idea that you sell out for something really that's insignificant. You've sold out for what the day is, but that's another message. But Esau says in his desperation, yes, have my birthright. And this leg puller, this trickster, has tricked Esau into giving him his entire birthright for one bowl of food. This is a trickster. This is the nature of the trickster. Mm -hmm. He's rightly furious. Sure. Yes, sir. 
at Jacob. He's mad at Jacob because he sold his birthright. But that's just not where the, the tricking ends. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go down to uh, let's go down to, to twenty. Wait, wait. Let's go down to twenty-seven and twenty-six. Yes. So just to be clear, Isaac is now dying. Their father is dying. And the minister's going to read in a moment. Their father's dying. He's on his deathbed. And at his deathbed, he can give blessings out. Remember, Jacob has already stolen his, his brother's birthright. And his father says to him, go, go get me some venison. Because you said heard at the beginning. Isaac prefers Esau already because he likes the venison. He likes the way Esau prepares it. So he says, go get me some venison. As a final meal, and then I'll bless you. Jacob hears about this, and so does his mother, and says, look, just go get two lambs from outside right now. Don't even go hunt for deer. Go get the venison, or go get the lamb, and I'll prepare it for you just the way your father loves it. And then you go in, and you might just go get the blessing. Jacob says, as the trickster, he's thought this through. He says, well, I'm smooth. Esau's hairy. He's going to catch me out. He says, okay, well, we'll put some hair on you. Just so that we can trick your father long enough so that you get the blessing. Keep reading now. Verse 24. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. Verse 25. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come now near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son, it is the smell of the field and the Lord which has blessed, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. And let, thy, let people serve thee, and the nation bow to thee, and the Lord over thy brethren. And let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curses thee, and bless he that blesses thee. Amazing. So here, Jacob has snuck in again. Esau comes later and finds out that his brother snuck in ahead of him again. He's stolen his birthright. He's stolen his father's blessing. The very last moments of his father, he stole that, stole that special blessing. Esau got another blessing, but Esau never got over it. In fact, he said, as soon as my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother. Yes. Jacob takes off running at that point. He takes off running. And at some point, he decides he wants to make peace with his brother. And so as he's coming back, and we're going to jump across to chapter 32. Chapter 32, and we go to verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Jacob, this trickster, is confronted now with an angel. And the scripture says that they wrestle one another until the breaking of the day. Verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So as they're wrestling, as the man is wrestling with this angel... The angel's realizing that Jacob's not giving up. He's wrestling and wrestling, so he literally dislocates his thigh. Puts his leg out of socket, and still he won't let go. Still Jacob won't let go. Verse 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. This is a spiritual encounter. Look, look what happens. The spiritual encounter and 
And Jacob refuses to leave the spiritual encounter unless he gets a blessing. Unless something is changed about the nature of Jacob. Thank you. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, trickster. He said, leg puller. That's my name. That's who I am. I am a leg puller. I am a trickster. I am the one who is doing things to get advantage over my brother. I'm a supplanter. I am the one who sneaks in. When you ask for who I am, I'm going to tell you who I am. And my name tells you my nature. And what does the angel do? He says, and he said unto Jacob, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob. You're no longer a trickster. You're not a leg puller anymore. You're not a supplanter anymore. After this spiritual encounter, your name is going to be Israel. And look at what Israel means. For as a prince... Thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. What am I saying? Your spiritual encounter needs to destroy the old man. Your spiritual encounter, your encounter with the Holy Spirit, your encounter with the baptism needs to destroy the old man so that you can become a prince. You're not supposed to be the tail after your spiritual encounter. You're supposed to become a prince. You're not a trickster. You're not what they say you are. You are what you did. You're what the Lord says you are and you're a prince. Thank you, Jesus. The angel says you have power with God and man. Doesn't that just sound like Saul becoming Paul? All of a sudden, he had power with man before, but now he has power with God and man. Can you imagine Jacob going to his brother? Now he can go to his brother because he has power with God and man. Says, yeah, I did you wrong? But I've got power with God and man now. Saul became Paul and came to the people. Yes, I had power with man just a moment ago. And I used it against you. But now I'm Paul. I've changed my name. I've changed who I am. I'm preaching with the Holy Spirit. I'm somebody new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We have to realize that our old man is dead. We are somebody new in Christ Jesus. We cannot be that old person anymore. And when we cling to that old person, you know what it reminds me of when we cling to the old person? It reminds me of the walking dead. Honestly, it reminds me of the show Walking Dead. When you want to hang out with the zombies, with those walking dead, that doesn't make, no one wants to hang out with those. Why do you, you want to be with the living? It's bad among the living. We've got all kinds of problems. Sometimes we're upset with each other. Sometimes we're not. But we're not hanging out. Whatever we are, we're better than who we were. Right? We don't want to hang out with those. Those are dead. At least we're alive. Right? We are. We may not be the cleverest, but we're better than who we were. We may not have the numbers, but we're better than who we were. I remember, you know, it reminds me of when, when Jesus... Um, there was a man who was in the tombs. Right. Yes. Yes. He was a. He was man. I think he was vexed with spirits. Yes, no, he may have. I think. Yes, he, yeah, he was a lunatic. Yes. And he was in the tombs. Yes, 
He was crazy. Yes. Jesus came and touched him. Yes. And what did he do as soon as he touched him? He went home. Right. He, didn't, he didn't want to hang out in the tombs anymore. Yes. Those are dead things. Yes. What do you want to hang out with the dead for? When we are alive, when we have our spiritual encounter with the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to put off the old man and become a new man. We're no longer subject to the flesh. We are subject to the Spirit. Let me go to one more scripture. Thank you, Jesus. Romans. Let's go to Romans 6. I think I've got two more scriptures, but Romans 6 first. Whoever finds it, just start reading Romans 6, please. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, please. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin right. live any longer therein? Right. We're talking about being dead to something. We're talking about being dead to it, which means it's not alive. Right. No one messes with dead bodies. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's not... It's not normal. In fact, it's illegal in, in every state. It's a federal law. You're not supposed to touch and mess with dead bodies. It's, it's, you're supposed to prepare it and put it away because it's dead. We're supposed to be doing something else, living. Thank you, Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Keep going. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So we accept that there was an old man, yes. that we buried the old man in baptism, mm -hmm. yes, and that the only thing that got out of the pool was a new man. Right. The dead man got left behind. Jesus. He cannot come back because he's dead. Amen. And so the question Paul is asking here is, why are people that are living interested in the dead things that are left behind? Right. There's nothing for you there. There's no potential there. There's no change there. What is dead stays dead. Thank you, Jesus. If it's died, leave it alone. Stop going back to the old dead things yes. if you are living a new spiritual life. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We fall in love with the things of the past because they are of the past. But the truth is the past cannot change. Right. It's done. Whatever was back there, whatever you did, whatever was back there, whatever you were into, whatever you were loving, is there and it won't change. But I'm asking you to leave it alone. Yes. Let's go forward in new spiritual man. Let's keep reading. Four, verse 5. If we were, have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we, we, like, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That's right. Yes, Knowing this, that our old man... This is what I'm talking about. The old man... Yes. ...is yes. crucified with him. Uh -huh. Yes. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Yes. That henceforth we should not serve sin. We should not be trying to resurrect the old man. Nope. The old man died for a reason. Yes, because he represents sin and the world. When you're trying to resurrect old things, try to make dead things walk, that's what a zombie is. Don't make dead things walk. Let them stay. Let that die. Let that stay in the grave. When you try to go back to the life you had, you are trying to resurrect a zombie. And what I'm telling you is let that die and let the spiritual man live. 
Let him live. Yes. You see, the body, the physical flesh, is a problem. I'm going to go back to the analogy of a car. Have you ever, you've seen those new self-driving cars? Autonomous cars? They're self-driving, right? They're supposed to be able to get from location A to location B. The minister was talking about it a few days ago, how we're not necessarily on board yet, right, with this idea of an autonomous car. But that's what the flesh is like sometimes. The flesh is unautomatic. The flesh is kind of doing its own thing. It needs to be able to... You don't want to have to think about digestion. You don't have to think about it. You want to just eat your food and be done. You don't have to sit there and concentrate on digestion. That's terrible. The body has to do things automatically. But we have to be careful because there's certain things we can't allow our body to just do on automatic. The autonomous vehicles probably work. But I'm going to be sitting there with my hands close to the wheel the whole time. Because I don't know what you're going to do. That's what my body's like. I'm sitting there inside my body as Mark. Because if you chop off my arm, I'm still Mark. If you chop off my other Mark, I'm still Mark. So who is Mark? The one inside. Right? That, that man inside. I am Mark. My body's part of me, but it's not me. Right? So it's this body's an automatic, doing its own thing. And I have to be constantly vigilant to make sure that the part of me that loves the Christ keeps this autonomous vehicle on schedule and on right direction. I can't let it just, I can't just assume it's going to do the right thing. Can I? Because if one day it's just going to go off the road and it's going to be my responsibility for my autonomous vehicle. Thank you, Jesus. We are responsible for our flesh, but we can't let it take over. We have to be in control. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. A couple more scriptures and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it alone. Ephesians 4, 22. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians 4, 22. Yep. He put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt. Again, this idea of the old man. We've got to shake him off. We've got to put him off. We've got to crucify him. We've got to kill him. He's got to go down in the grave so that a new spiritual life can be had. We did all kinds of things. No sense in us relating or re- rehashing the past. Thank you, Jesus. But now we are refusing to cede control over our body to the old man again. Amen. We found a new spiritual way. And some people are so hopelessly in love with the old man that they keep resurrecting him. And for us it looks horrible because we know what the old man is. For us it looks it looks terrible because we understand that that was supposed to be a dead thing. And it's supposed to be in the grave. And the last scripture, let's go to Colossians 3. And nine in the name of Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians three and nine. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. I always, I, I used to always talk about this. There is an old man, and the old man has deeds. Mm-hmm. Right? Ain't no sense in you making the old man die and then you come go find look for his things. 
If the old man, if the old man has been buried with clothes on, don't take the clothes off the old man. Go and find some new clothes. His deeds and the things that belong to the old man need to stay buried. We shouldn't re-resurrect them and try to claim them. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we need to live according to what we are and that we are new. We've got a new name. We're no longer tricksters. Thank you, Jesus. We're no longer persecutors. Thank you, Jesus. We are preachers and teachers of the gospel. We are representatives of the kingdom. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Lord.